Life's too short. Life's too damn short. So, eat everything. Try anything. Exercise. Experience all that life has to offer. Here's exercise physiologist, medical journalist, and healthy talk host, Melanie Cole, MS. So if you're the parent of a teenage boy and you ask them to do something and they look at you like you're bonkers or they roll their eyeballs or they look back down at your phone, their phones, you say to yourself, well, God, they're just so lazy or why won't they help or what's going on? But the more we've learned about the teenage brain and what's going on in this electrical impulses of the weird and wild teenage brain, the more we begin to understand sort of why teenagers seem like they're from another planet. And my guest today is Dr. Adam Price. He's a clinical psychologist and an author who's worked with children, adolescents, and their families for more than 25 years. Welcome to the show, Dr. Price. So on the surface, are teenage boys lazy? Do they want to be lazy? Or is it the weird teenage brain that we're looking at? The weird and wild teenage brain. Melanie, thank you for having me. I find that many of the kids that are referred to me in my private practice as a clinical psychologist are because their parents feel they're not working up to their potential. I hear that a lot, Melanie and I also hear that their kids are lazy and don't care about school. But when these boys come in to see me and I give them permission to talk, they tell me that they really do want to do better in school, that they really are concerned about their futures, that they really don't want to have failing or mediocre grades. The problem is that they're conflicted. The problem is that there's so much pressure on them. The expectations have gotten so great that they feel like they can't meet them. And so what they do is they fly just under the radar. They become what I call opt-out. They may get C's, they may get a few D's, maybe even a B, but they're not trying their hardest because they're afraid if they try their hardest and they fail, then they're going to prove to the world that they're no good. Wow. I mean, that's sort of sad, the way you put it, Dr. Price, because, I mean, it kind of seems like they're afraid to succeed, they're afraid to do too much, and then not be able to follow through with it, which is kind of a sad way to look at it. Now, but what is a parent supposed to do besides yell, scream, pull out our hair, and and, and roll around on the floor in frustration? Well, Melanie, here's the deal. When parents yell and scream too much, when they put too much pressure on kids, when they're too worried, and of, co- and of course parents are worried uh, about kids' future because parents feel this increased pressure uh, as well, and they see that the expectations are greater. But when they do too much, what happens is with something that I call the paradoxical response. They elicit this response. It's paradoxical because they're getting the opposite of what they want. Rather than have their kids be motivated to do more, their kids seem to only want to do less. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because, as I said at the beginning, these boys are not apathetic, they're conflicted. When when people have two sets of feelings, we call that, as psychologists, we call that ambivalence. Everybody calls that ambivalence, right? So when you're ambivalent about something, you flip-flop between the two things. Do I want to go to the movies? Do I not want to go to the movies? And eventually you figure it out. But when two people are involved in the conflict, then the feelings flip-flop between those two people. The... the, uh, Example I like to use is a young married couple. The wife is all gung-ho to have a baby. She's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm ready to decorate the nursery. And the father's like, the expectant father, the new father's like, whoa, hold on. I'm not ready yet. But as soon as he starts to say, yeah, I can really see that. I'm ready to go out and buy that baseball mitt or, you know, uh, buy buy a, a, a bike trailer so we can go on bike rides. The wife then becomes, slow down a minute. I'm not quite ready, right? Sure, well, it's the ever-chasing. The That's right. That's right. But what happens with the parent and the teen 
is that they don't flip flop. The teen holds all the worry. The teen, I mean, sorry, the parent holds all the worry. The parent holds all the anxiety, and then the teen doesn't have to. And the more that the parent nags and provokes and prods, the more that the teen can say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're the problem, which teens want to say anyways. I'm rebelling against you. I don't have to do well in school, and I'm too cool for school anyways. So parents get this opposite response. Yeah, so now for an example, and because I I want you to give us some motivational tips, but as far as like letting the kid fail now with my own son, he's 17 and he's a very motivated young guy, gymnast, he's an athlete and he's just getting ready to apply to college, but he can't keep a checkbook. And so I am working with him right now, but I said to him, Clayton, I just said this last night. You screw up this checkbook, I will not rescue you. I will not mm-hmm. come in and rescue you when you overdraft. I won't do it. You have to learn to keep track of your checkbook. You have to. And and I'm serious, and I'm going to let him fail. Am I doing the wrong thing? No, I think that's exactly what parents need to do. And you pick something. Obviously, you're not going to, uh, at his age, he's not going to go into financial ruin if he uh, doesn't manage his that's checkbook. That's why I said that's may bounce, right. He may bounce a few checks, although the fees the banks charge it could create financial ruin. But the thing is that letting kids fail and being comfortable with them, being able to fail while uh, you know supporting them and, and making structures so they don't fail too much is really important. Kids need to be able to develop a sense of being competent at being incompetent. They need to feel comfortable with what they don't know, comfortable with maybe not being able to do it. Now, your son is a perfect example as a gymnast because, you know, if he goes into this thinking, I can become a better gymnast, but if I have trouble with that, you know, that one particular move or that that somersault or whatever, that flip, he knows that if he practices, if he tries harder, uh, if he learns new skills, he'll be able to accomplish it. So he's able to tolerate the anxiety of not knowing, of not being sure. That's something that psychologist Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset. Many teenage boys, not all of them, but many have this idea that's, that, they're, that their intelligence is fixed, that they're not going to get any smarter, and they better not show anybody where the limits of their intelligence is because then everybody will know, even if it's very high. So they don't take risks. They are afraid to do things that they're not comfortable with. They don't have what, what I have coined from the little book, the, the child's book, the little engine that could, and I think I can mentality. Yeah. And so they don't try. They withdraw. And they think that the person who's successful, well, it must come easier to them. Yeah, so, and I think and they, that, like you're pointing out, because athletes do have, they tend to have a different mindset about it all. But for parents that want to motivate, and I don't think this is only true for boys, because I ask my 14-year-old daughter to pick cherry tomatoes from the garden, and she's flat out like, no, I'm too busy right now, or I can't do it, or I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. And doesn't even say I'm sorry, forget it. So, I mean, I think it's all teens and back to that teenage brain. So, Dr. Price, what do we as parents do to help motivate our children without, like you say, that paradox, setting off those electrical wires? And a good example, Dr. Price, is when you're teaching a kid to drive, they say, don't yell. And I only know this because I do this show for 11 years, but they say don't yell, you know, yell at your kids while they're learning to drive because they can't handle the concentration factor of driving. And then this input from the side of look out, look out, you know, and that those electrical impulses just start, you know, going off haphazardly. So what's a parent to do? How do we find that fine line? Well, I'll tell you what I tell parents about driving is not only teach them, but also you drive and have them critique your driving which is a great technique because not only does it make you a better driver, 
uh, but they get to observe you. But it also evens the playing field, so they realize that you make mistakes and it doesn't have to be so nervous. But in terms of motivation, what I encourage parents to do is to focus on the three C's, and that's competence, control, and connection. And competence is someone who only feels motivated to succeed if they feel competent at what they're doing, right? So in order to encourage kids to be competent, we have to focus not on their achievements, not on that great diorama they did in second grade or the great paper they wrote or even the great medal they earned. We have to focus on the process of what they're doing, of how they got there. So another way of saying this is don't tell kids how smart they are. Tell them how hard they work. Compliment them when they work hard because that's something that they not only have in their control, but when you just tell them they're so smart or they're so great, they feel like it's an expectation they have to live up to. So that's how you uh, help kids to feel more competent. Control has to do with with giving kids autonomy. We only want to do things that we feel in control of, where we can feel in control of the outcome and how we get there. So we, we don't always have that freedom, but parents can provide uh, autonomy, which is the freedom to choose, the freedom to make a decision, but it's not the freedom to do whatever you want. It has to come with accountability, as you talked about with your son and his checkbook. So what I see often is parents who let their kids choose, let their kids decide, I'm going to stay up late and cram for the test. I just started studying for at 11. But when they can't get up the next morning, they call them out sick from school rather than making them face the consequences. Yeah, no kidding. I and, hate that. That drives the, me crazy as a parent. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it's okay occasionally to do. Um, we're not talking about, you know, uh, black and white, but, but as a rule, it's not good. And the third thing is connection, which is people do better when they feel that there's people around them that care about what they're doing, are invested in their success, and support them. So in order to do that, parents have to end power struggles. You can't always be in a power struggle with your kid, and teenagers are so good at getting us in power struggles because they have their autonomy at stake. They're proving that they're adults, they think they are, and that they can do anything, they, you know, that they're ready to do things that we know they can't. So avoiding power struggles by giving them choices and consequences um, but also by by listening to them empathically, by understanding where they're coming from. Understanding where someone's coming from doesn't mean you agree with them. It just means you get it. And when someone feels understood, they're more likely to open up, they're more likely to communicate and to feel supported. Okay, you know, and and that's great advice because as parents, we we feel sometimes at the end of our rope, but just like you say, the yelling and screaming doesn't seem to work. So getting their son or daughter to take responsibility around the house, mowing the lawn, taking out the garbage. I mean, we're being stereotypical here, but the typical boy kind of things to to be thinking about. And those, how do you get your kids to do that? I mean, okay, so I'm asking for other parents, and I'm not saying I'm a great parent, but I am feeling a little, um, what's the word? You know, I'm feeling a little good about myself because my son does mow the lawn. Uh-huh. And he does take out the well, garbage. That, but for other parents, how do that, you get them to do that? I think that's great. I think that there are kids that do that. There are many kids that don't. First of all, if you haven't inculcated, if you haven't, uh, made sure from the very beginning that that's the expectation and those are the values from when they were little, then I think it's harder to instill it and enforce it when they get older um, because it's not part of the culture of the family. But I think that one of the ways to do it is to give them the autonomy. So your son's job is to take out the garbage. He has to take it out, but that doesn't mean he has to take it out when you want him to do it. He has to take it out within the course of a day, perhaps, giving him a little flexibility. Um, laundry is a great one because if, if you're, you know, however you do it in your family, but if a parent does the laundry but the kid has to put it in the laundry hamper and get it off their floor, if they don't do that by the day that the laundry's done, then they have to do the laundry themselves. That's building in some accountability. Um, I think that these things are very helpful. 
I think also uh, sometimes when things are really out of control, you can do what's called the boot camp, where you say, we're going to learn how to set the table. And so you have everybody come down, and they practice setting the table, they practice clearing the dishes, and then they do it again. And then they do it again. So it's both aversive, because they don't want to keep doing this for an hour, but it also reinforces that they need to do it. Yes. And and I think that one of the secrets to any of these kinds of things, whether it's getting your kids to eat healthy or live a healthy lifestyle or help around the house or is to start young, is to just start young and ingrain that as part of your culture, of your household. And, you know, households are not democracies. They're really not. They're a dictatorship and with some autonomy, you know, and they kind of... Well, yeah. And so you'll be happy to know that there's a word for that. It's called authoritative, right? So it's, it's uh, it's not a, it's not a dictatorship, and you qualified it. It's not a dictatorship that's authoritarian. It's not permissive. It's authoritative, which means the parents in charge, but they're in charge while giving a child uh, some opportunity to voice their opinion, to have a say in things, um, to make some mistakes. I think that's really important. Um, that's a good word to use. That is a good word to use. So wrap it up for us, Dr. Price, with your best advice for parents listening about their sons and their daughters and keeping their children involved, engaged, maybe off social media for five seconds and helping around the house and and to prove to them that they're not lazy. This is just, again, the teenage brain. Well, and, you know, one of the things I say over and over again in my book, He's Not Lazy, uh, is that parents have to recognize that it's the hardest thing we do in life and the most important thing. It's really challenging. And we're always worried about making a mistake. We're always doing it. We're always worried about doing it wrong. And so we have to feel comfortable. We have to feel competent at being incompetent ourselves. We have to model for them. And you were talking about eating healthy and being healthy. I mean, the best way for parents to do that is to do it themselves and model it. But we also have to model being unsure. We also have to model being compassionate with ourselves. We also have to know that it's okay to make mistakes and that we don't have to be perfect parents. We just have to be good enough parents. And if we're able to do that, then we're going to be much more responsive to our kids and we're going to be able to teach them that it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to try, sometimes to succeed, sometimes you fail, but you learn along the way. And most importantly, along the way, you have a really fulfilling, important relationship, the most important of our lives. And where can people find your book? Uh, It's available. It's actually out today. It's available at their favorite bookstore, uh, favorite independent bookstore. It's available on Amazon.com. Uh, you can find out more about it at he's not lazy.com or dradamprice.com or read more at my blog, which is uh, on psychologytoday.com. Great. Thank you so much for being with us today. I love this kind of topic because it really hits all of us where we live as parents. And, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash said it. They said, teach your children. And that's what we have to do. We have to teach our children and we have to guide them. That's our jobs to raise them and to guide them in what we feel is the best way possible to make them decent human beings. And that's what we're talking about on this show in many aspects. And if you want to get involved, you know, you can go and subscribe to us on iTunes and like and rate and review. And that way, like-minded people, we can all get involved together. You can listen on iHeart Streaming. Of course, we like you to listen on RadioMD.com or TuneIn, Stitcher. We're all over the place. And share these shows with your friends. This is Melanie Cole for Radio MD. Stay well.